Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Good morning. It's great to have um, the opportunity to speak uh, to you. And we're actually going to start off with a bit of a game, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read three quotes from a famous person, and you need to work out who that famous person is. Now, I've been coming to Beacon for about seven years now, and I know this is a church that abounds in the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, you can see I'm losing the things around me, patience, self-control. But I also know you're a competitive bunch. So what I'm going to ask is, if you maybe know the answer after the first one, first quote, don't shout it out. Show some self-control and let others who maybe take a little (laughs) longer have the opportunity to enjoy the game as well. So, first one. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. It's hard to be as humble when you're as great as I am. I can see the cogs turn. Second. I think we're going to wait for the end, all three. (laughs) If you know you got it on the first one, just be happy on the inside. Um, Okay, next up. Bear with me with this one. I done wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. Handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalised a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. And finally, I think you'll get it from this one. (laughs) She's got hidden depths. I've seen George Foreman's shadow boxing and the shadow won. So who thinks they know? Muhammad Ali. So, one of the greatest, considered one of the greatest uh, boxers of all time, considered by many as one of the greatest uh, sportsmen of the last century. Uh, he was very, a very talented individual. And um, obviously, he passed away recently with media coverage about his life. It kind of really brought home that he wasn't just talented in terms of sport. This was a witty, charismatic person. He was the type, he had the type of persona that people gravitated to. You were kind of interested in what he had to say. You may not have necessarily agreed with it. You may have been maybe morally opposed to the sport that he made his name in. But something about when he spoke, you listened. And there's something in society, really, that we're kind of Obsessed with the talented and the gifted. They kind of captivate our attention. But we also know that the most gifted, the most talented people can also be the most flawed. And great as he was, lots to admire. Muhammad Ali was no different with that. You know, you look into his personal life, it was messy to say the least. And I think it doesn't matter whether it's a sports person, politician or business leader. We're often left wondering, how can someone be so gifted in one way and yet so flawed in another? 
And what's true in society is also true in the church. We can read the Bible and come across a particular biblical figure who have been greatly blessed by God, greatly gifted, but at the same time incredibly flawed. And we find it hard to reconcile that. And the person we're looking at today in our life series exemplifies this more than most, Samson. He lived during the period of the judges when God raised up leaders to deliver the people of Israel from their oppressors. He was known for his great strength, also like Muhammad Ali, spoken rhyme every now and then. Uh, he lived an interesting life uh, with such notable events as fighting and killing a lion, and as well as a number of confrontations with the Philistines, who were Israel's enemies during that time. So we're actually going to look at a passage from towards the end of his life, when he comes kind of entangled, involved with Delilah. And Delilah uh, was tasked by the Philistines, Israel's enemies, with finding the secret of Samson's strength. And she's tried unsuccessfully three times to find out, and Samson kind of messes her around, jokes with her. And, but we're going to pick it up with the fourth time. So if you have your Bibles, it's um, Judges 16, um, verse 15. We'll be reading to the end of the chapter, but it's also going to appear on the PowerPoint. So here it goes. Then she said to him, how can I say, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding corn in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me somewhere where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now, the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there 
and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign God, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He led Israel for 20 years. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom and the transformation it brings to us. Lord, we ask for you to speak this morning, uh, for you to, to make clear um, what you want to bring uh, to us. And so we ask for open hearts, receptive hearts for your spirit to be working uh, amongst us and within us. In Jesus' name, amen. As most of you know, I'm a primary school teacher and it being summer holidays, I can describe myself as a happy, more relaxed primary school teacher. The end of the summer term can be a little bit stressful. You're tired, the kids are tired, but probably the main reason it's stressful is uh, the dreaded end of term, end of year reports. Now, not only are they quite a kind of laborious task, um, they can be quite tricky to write. You need to be positive. You're communicating with parents. But the real challenge is, and the real danger is, that as a teacher, you can write, in the effort to communicate positively, you can write them in a way that you mean one thing, and when the parents read them, they take them in a completely different way. So what do I mean that, by that? For example, if, you, if a parent gets a report where their child is described as sociable, it's likely that it means that um, their kid just talks a lot. An independent thinker. Yeah, the child doesn't follow instructions and just does their own thing. And my personal favourite displays leadership qualities. Yeah, your kid's bossy. Now, I can see Ben wants to read back some reports and decipher the code. But yeah, there is that kind of sense that you can communicate one way and it's taken in a completely different way. And I kind of faced that challenge with Samson. Want to communicate positively about him, but I don't want to misrepresent his life um, and his kind of character. Because the truth is there's a lot of stuff to reject in how he lived. Um, but my hope isn't that you kind of come away feeling kind of downbeat and kind of think, oh, no, because even though um, Samson made mistakes, in many ways his life wasn't godly, when you see God at work in his life, actually it moves you to worship, it moves you to thankfulness, because God worked in a powerful way through him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, focus on three key aspects related to his life. Um, the first, identity, then we'll move on to character and purpose. So, identity. 
couple of weeks ago, um, Emma and I, um, we celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary. How time flies. Uh, we uh, probably celebrated a few, several weeks before knowing that a week old baby was likely to put a dampener on any romantic meal. Uh, when you go to church, um, there's, it's one of the fantastic things is when you're about to get married, there's always a lot of support preparing you for marriage. I'm very thankful for Owen and Pauline, who, they're not here today, for the kind of the support they gave us in the run up to our wedding. And um, with that kind of advice, it also comes with lots of suggestions of books to read. There are loads and loads, of, I should say enthusiastically, should I? There are loads and loads of books to read about marriage. Um, and I remember one story uh, from one of the books around the idea of kind of present giving, kind of um, giving gifts to your spouse. And it was about um, one husband who had an idea for his anniversary. And what he did is he just set up a system with a local florist. So basically, um, he set up a system where, a rolling system, it seemed, where every year on the date of his anniversary, his wife would receive flowers and the money would just be direct debited out of his account. Um, so, in a sense, the anniversary would come around, his wife got some flowers, he didn't really have to think about it, he didn't even really, once the system had been set up, um, have to um, do anything. Now, in, on one level, I kind of admire the organisation, and his wife may have been happy to get the flowers, but there is a sense that he kind of missed something in that kind of approach to present giving. He knew that he was a husband, he knew on an anniversary, I need to give my wife a gift. I don't think you can fully say that he stepped up and embraced his role as a husband in his approach to anniversary. Um, not in the passage you read, but earlier on in Judges, we're giving details about Samson's mother and how she was barren, she was childless, but she was visited by an angel who told her that she had become pregnant and have a son whose head was never to be touched by a razor because he was to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God, to take the lead in delivering the, um, Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Even before his birth, Samson is blessed with this God-given identity. And on one level, he knew it. In that dialogue with uh, Delilah, he's able to explain it to her. Because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. But from looking at Samson's life, you could argue that even though he knew it, he definitely hadn't embraced that identity. He wasn't living fully in line with it. Uh, whatever your political stance in, out, one thing that's become particularly clear in recent months is that we live in a deeply divided country. Uh, hate and division that maybe have been under the surface has become more visible. Political leaders struggling to unify their parties, let alone the country. And there can be a temptation to despair with that, let fear creep in. But Christians have a unique identity as individuals. And a unique identity as part of the church that means we can seize this opportunity to bring a message to people that displays unity and love in a time of division. But there is a choice with that. I imagine that we could all, maybe most of us could articulate our identity in Christ. We know it. But we need to fully embrace it kind of individually and corporately. It says that the church is the hope of the world. 
So we can extend that to think it's the hope of Europe, it's the hope of Britain, it's the hope of Brixton, the hope of your workplace, the hope of your family and marriage. And actually, when we finally get that and embrace that idea, it transforms everything. It transforms your approach to life. When, you're conf- when a friend comes to you with a problem, you're not, no longer giving worldly advice. You're bringing the gospel because you realise that is the hope. That is what's going to change a person. So we thought about how identity is key, fully embracing that. Um, let's move on to character. So hands up. If you've ever played the game Jenga before, okay, a few of us. So for the uninitiated, it's quite a simple game, uh, but in my opinion, fantastic. You have a tower of blocks and you have to take one of the blocks out one at a time and put them at the top. And the idea you take it in terms of the idea is you don't want the tower to collapse when it's your turn. And I'm of the opinion that if you really want to know how a person operates, what they're like, play a game of Jenga with them. Um, It quickly becomes apparent what type of person they are. Are they the more cautious, anxious ones who are kind of prod the pieces carefully, are so overcome with fear that it's going to topple over, it takes them ages to have their go, and you're just like, just pick a block, pick a block, come on. Or are they the more calculating, maybe analytical type who quickly assess, maybe use their degree in structural engineering to work out which blocks are carrying the least load and take those ones out? Or are they the risk takers? So right from the very start of the game, they take one of the blocks from the very bottom and it doesn't make the tower collapse, but it leaves it teetering precariously for the rest of the game. Now, If Samson played Jenga, how would he play? Well, there is the possibility, being how he was, he'd maybe use one of the pieces of a weapon. But he would be, I imagine, a risk taker. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with being a risk taker. That is the Christian life in reality. But we're called to step out in faith. And whenever you step out in faith, you step out of your comfort zone and you step out of um, and that feels risky. Um, But there are risks that you shouldn't take. And Samson took risks he shouldn't have taken. And actually, it wasn't fighting a lion. It wasn't battling hordes of Philistines when he was greatly outnumbered. The risk that Samson took was thinking that he could get away with not addressing his character flaws. Uh, The great irony of Samson's life is that one that was so physically strong was so weak in terms of his character. Um, And one of those key flaws was he was allowed himself to be manipulated. He was quite easily manipulated. Um, In the passage we read, it says of Delilah, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And Samson's response? So he told her everything. And it's that mistake that leads his capture by the Philistines, but actually the reality was him being easily manipulated wasn't something new. You hear examples earlier in his life when a, pre, uh, a previous woman he was involved in kind of pestered him and he gave away an important secret. Samson did not recognise the importance of character. Uh, God in his grace 
blesses us with gifts and talents. Uh, some of those kind of spiritual, we've been doing lots around spiritual gifts. But the foundation for these to truly flourish must be a godly character. Um, some have this incredible gift of strength, uh, but not a godly character. And so his, um, his life ended up being a bit like that, a Tower of Jenga, not with a solid foundation, teetering and likely to collapse, fall apart at any point. And also, I think what you see in Samson's life is that God had to humble him. Uh, and he humbled him in quite a severe way. Um, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And um, truth is, to all an extent, we're proud. And I sometimes think in my own life, I can tell that God's you know, revealing my pride to me. He's revealing it gently. And even when he's doing it gently, I have to say, I don't like it. No one likes their sin being exposed. Um, but what I do try to remind myself is I try not to resist because if he's dealing with you gently, it is far better that way than he deals with your pride forcefully. What we see with Samson. He, Samson ended up in prison. Physically, he's blinded. And it was at that point that God was able to really develop humility. In him. I don't want to be <laughs> like that. Um, and so finally, moving on to the kind of uh, the purpose uh, when the angel appeared to Samson's mother, he told her that Samson was to be a Nazarite. But he also made it very explicit what calling, what purpose there was for Samson's life. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And after um, his capture, it, there is kind of evidence that there was a bit of a spiritual awakening. He prays to God, asks for him to restore his strength one last time. And then he's able to destroy the temple and the Philistines inside. And it's an amazing example of how God works. Up to this point, he's lived a very eventful life. But here in prison, he's probably at his lowest point, well and truly kind of humble. Um, but there's this incredible truth that God can use you whenever. It's never too late with God. You're never gone too far. You have never made too great a mistake. Wherever you are, however you are, he can still use you for your purposes, for his purposes. And I've been thinking this morning about how we live in a world that casts people onto the scrap heap. You make one mistake and it's almost like your life is destined to follow this path. Um, and... It's just amazing, like kind of moves you to think that our God is just the complete opposite. It's never too late. You've never made a mistake that he can't turn around, that you can't come back from. You've never, um, there's no, you're not too old. You're not from the wrong background. He can use you wherever and whenever and wherever he wants. And I was thinking about this morning and then I saw, notice on Simi's T-shirt, that he's got something, your, your past does not have to define your future. And um, so I think God's saying something because I don't tell Simi what to wear to church on Sunday morning. Okay, So I think that's really something. But if you're here and you're kind of thinking, because we can do it, the enemy wants to get in, the enemy wants to kind of um, bring us down. If you ever kind of reminded of past mistakes or even think, oh, it's too late for me to be used powerfully by God. 
And I get that. I really do. It's actually, he's the complete opposite. It's never too late. It's, you've never gone too far. No mistake is too big for him to turn around. Uh, even though at the end of his life, Samson like, showed a degree of faith, there's still this kind of thing that he didn't fully get his purpose at the end. Um, I think his kind of perspective was quite individualistic. He, he did recognise that there was this calling for him to take on the Philistines and he fought them on occasions and he kind of um, killed many at the end. But there definitely is underlying his prayer at the end, this kind of element of self-interest, this kind of motivation of his for, um it was more about him than um, saving God's people. He didn't get the bigger picture. He didn't get the idea that he was meant to be leading something bigger than himself. Um, it was more about personal vengeance for him, for um, kind of gaining revenge for what they did to his eyes. And he had forgotten the greater purpose he'd been given. Um, God in his grace has good works for us. He has things that he's planned in advance for us to do. And in one way, those plans are very personal to you. God knows you best. He knows you intimately. And he'll tailor make those plans for you um, because he knows you, but you're not meant to view them in isolation. We can't disconnect them from his plans and purposes for his church, for all of uh, creation. God knows and cares for you as an individual, but you aren't just an individual. You're part of a family, part of God's chosen people, part of this body that works best when people are working together. Uh, Samson gave his life. He made a sacrifice, but I'd describe Samson as the imperfect sacrifice. Ultimately, it was kind of tainted by selfishness. Um, but it does kind of, in a way, leave you thankful when we think about it in terms of we are the people of God now and in terms of how God um, has helped us. Because I'm just really thankful that in terms of my sin, God didn't raise up someone like Samson. He sent his son. Samson was motivated by self-interest. Um, Jesus came down from heaven and lived a selfless life. Samson was maybe in a way interested in following his own plan. Jesus followed his father's plan perfectly to the cross. Died and rose again so we can have a relationship with the living God. Uh, it says in Hebrews, for one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being holy. God sent the perfect sacrifice for us. Um, one perfect sacrifice that atones for sin for all time. Uh, the gospel in one level is very personal, and that's great. But on one, it's much broader than that. We must get that we're caught up in something bigger, far greater than ourselves. Uh, when looking at Samson's life, there is this kind of sense that you're left with a kind of what if, what could have been, uh, what would he have done if he had really fully embraced his God-given identity? Um, how would things have panned out if he had dealt with those character flaws, hadn't neglected them, maybe if he hadn't focused too much on gift and less 
and, um, and sorry, and focus more on godly character. Um, what could he have achieved for God if he fully took hold of his pl- the plan and purpose that God had for him? And I don't want to be Samson. <laughs> I know I don't come across as Samson, but you don't want to live a life and kind of think you get to the end of thinking, what if? What could have been? What could I have done? And I suppose that's what I want to leave us with actually today, that actually we're kind of really fully embracing our God-given identity. Um, We are a gifted people. He's blessed us greatly, but we're developing godly character so that can truly flourish. And also that we really get God's purposes, but he has a purpose for us individually. It's much broader than that. His purposes for his church, has purposes for this city, for this country. Okay, I'll just pray to end. Father, I thank you that your word challenges us. I thank you that um, we come across um, people, um, characters in it that we can struggle to work out. And I do thank you for the example of Samson, of someone who showed faith at their very end, or that you were able to use him, uh, that you were able to do something in his life. But Lord, we do want to reject what there is to reject. And Lord, we don't want to be a a people that are motivated by self-interest, that um, view your plans and purposes purely on an individual level. Lord, we want to be caught up in something far bigger, something far greater. And so, Lord, we do pray for your spirit. Lord, I pray for your spirit to come now in this church. Lord, I pray for you to anoint the people here. Lord, I pray for you to anoint them and develop those spiritual gifts, Lord, the prophecy, the gifts of teaching, the miraculous. But, Lord, I do pray for greater fruits of the spirit, for the self-control, the love, the kindness to abound and abound in greater measure. And, Lord, we just do thank you for your son. We thank you that you sent him to deliver us um, from our sin, that he was the one true perfect sacrifice. And Lord, everything we do is in a response to that. Lord, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.